It's time. It's time. Well, it says to follow Pastor D, but Pastor D's not here this morning. Miss Lauren, thank you so much for doing all the things this morning, right? Getting up here and singing and then running back to minister to the kids. So grateful for that. Take your Bibles, please, and turn them to Galatians chapter number one. If you happen not to bring a Bible, that's okay. There's a pew Bible right in front of you. And uh, table of contents right up front if you need it. Galatians is in the New Testament, about halfway through the New Testament, a little more, uh, past that halfway point uh, in the New Testament. This morning, uh, I want to talk about, of course, this passage of Scripture that our brother read just a few moments ago. But let's just think for a moment about the series title, this verse-by-verse study that we're in in Galatians. You've seen the little subheading, subtitle up there, and it's called The Fruitful Gospel of Grace. It shows up on the slides, and I'm thinking about what, what does that mean? Can we pause for just a moment while you're finding your place in your Bibles and, and talk about that? Fruitful, the fruitful gospel of grace. All of us want to be fruitful and successful when we set out to do something and endeavor to uh, take on this discipline or that. You don't want to try to have a, um, uh, a workout plan and, you know, you tell everybody you're going to have a workout plan. You tell everybody you're going to uh, work on your abs or for us working fellows, your ab, whatever it is, right? But you, you tell everybody you're going to get in shape and, and then you, you kind of piddle with the plan. You kind of have a little go at it and there's no results and nobody can see anything and and one of your sarcastic friends goes, so uh, how's that working out going? Right? You know, they kind of give you that. And we, we want to be fruitful. If we set out to do something, we want to do it well. If we set out to name ourselves as Christians, somebody ought to be able to open their Bible and see a connection with the way that we're living based on the way the Bible describes Christians to live. Not what culture says, but what the Bible says. So fruitful, we want to be fruitful. The fruitful gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the gospel, that's what that means, the proclamation of the good news. The bad news is we're all sinners. The, the worst news is that we're all sinners bound for judgment from the God that with the power of the word of his mouth spoke everything into existence. Yikes. That's bad news, and it keeps spiraling. But the good news is, God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ, in the fullness of time, came and showed up and died for us. But before he died, he lived a sinless, spotless life. He was born miraculously the way he was born and conceived. He, he lived a life with no sin. He knew no guile in his mouth. He, he, he never had a, a word that shouldn't have been spoken. It's a pretty powerful thing to say in and of itself. He was the word of God with flesh on, and he was crucified for the sins of humanity. Because he knew no sin, he took on our sins. God poured out the wrath that you and I deserve on his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, so that you and I could have a living relationship and have peace with God. Not just peace from God, not just the peace of God, but peace with God. Wow, that's good news. That's good news that there's hope for us. The greater aspect of that is the last word, the grace. The work is all done. It's all been handled. God handled it all. One songwriter said, sinful man in need of redemption, hopeless, helpless, sinner, lost. 
but the Alpha and Omega brought the answer to a cross. The work was finished by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's inviting us to trust him, to follow him, and to let him make us new. The fruitful gospel of grace. It's that fruitful gospel of grace that Paul had transformed him by the power of God. I mean, think about it. If you and I were coming up with a way to stand right before God, we'd come up with some kind of scoring system, wouldn't we? Based on what we could do. Well, I did this today. I, did, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. Hey, what's your total score? We'd be doing that as families, right? Instead of family devotions, we'd be doing scoreboard checks. We'd have the little things on the wall with stars or stickers, and we'd say, now, how many points did you get today? Oh, you're a little closer to heaven than I am. That's how we do these things. Why? Because in our heart of hearts, we want to work our way towards something. It's just hard for us to accept. Our selfish, disbelieving self rejects by default that God would do all the work for us so that he could work in us and through us. Works righteousness is motivated by unbelief. And this is the kind of thing that has turned Paul's world upside down. He was Saul before and now he's Paul. And we come to Galatians 1 where he's had this incredible introduction where he's talked about the power that there's no other gospel out there. And now he's saying, and this is the effect that the gospel had on me. As you look at Paul's life, uh, just kind of the synopsis of it here is his uh, conversion it's pretty remarkable to see. I'm going to put the verses on the screen, but if you'll allow me, they've already been read. You'll be reading them as we go through our time, but I'm going to touch on some of the key action words that give us an indication as to what's happening here. Paul says, know this. You see that? For I would have you know. This is not hope so, think so, maybe so, or hey, I'd like to submit my opinion, or let's take a poll. No, this was know this. I'm telling you the facts. This is the way it is, brothers. And then he goes right to the gospel, the good news. The Evangelion is the word that he's using there, that expression of the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's powerful. This gospel, this good news was preached. It was heralded. I heard this gospel. It was preached. I'm preaching it, but it didn't come through man. It came from Jesus Christ himself. It's not from Man, verse 12, it's straight from Jesus Christ. Verse 13, Paul gets into this. He says, but you know my life before. I persecuted the church. I didn't just persecute the church. Now, we Americans, we like to think that if the political winds shift a little bit and, and some legislation might come that makes it a little tougher, we say, ha, man, we're being persecuted. And I just wonder, like, if our brothers and sisters on the other side of the globe who have to be in secret to worship, really kind of look at us with some pity when we describe our persecution. I'm not trying to belittle our trials. They're real. I'm not trying to belittle the darkness that's encroaching. It's real. But the light outshines the darkness. We still have freedom. What are we doing with it? I mean, we talk about the freedom that we have to do all the things. And if all you're doing with the freedom you have in this incredible nation is just showing up on Sunday and checking a box, oh, man. What do you care if it gets hard to share the gospel? Not you, Grace Covenant, but maybe other people. Like, if that freedom is compromised, it ought to cost us something, right? But Paul here is talking about the fact that he persecuted the church, look at the word, violently, and tried to destroy it. 
He was advanced, if you look at the next verse, he was advanced in Judaism. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. But then something happens in verse 15. He was called by grace. God called him. God wasn't lost. Paul was. God found him before he was born. He said, God knew me. He had a plan for my life. I was set apart by God. He called me by his grace. He was pleased to confront me with Christ. He confronted Paul while he was persecuting. Like Paul didn't say, you know what? I need to take a step back and re-examine my life. I just don't like the way my life is headed. No, he was on his way to do more persecution. And God interrupts his journey and arrests his attention and captures him in his sin and brought him to repentance. Why? Verses 16 and 17. That he might proclaim the message among the Gentiles. He didn't need formal charge to go proclaim the gospel. He went and told everybody he could on his journey that he was now in Christ. He went to Arabia, then back to Damascus. Don't get lost in the details here. Three years uh, go by, he goes to Jerusalem, he's with Peter and James, then he goes to Syria and Cilicia. Why is all this in there? Because these are facts. This stuff happened just like it's recorded. You look in the back of your Bible, you see those maps back there? I know you think, well, that's just in the way of me putting stickers and stuff in there. I don't know what you think it's there for, but if you look, there's usually in every Bible, a reference Bible, there's two maps. Paul's first missionary journey, Paul's second missionary journey. Why is that there? Because this stuff matters. This is how the gospel was transmitted to the ends of the earth. It's remarkable. They didn't know a lot about Paul when he showed up and started preaching, but they knew this. They knew they had heard, this is the persecutor that's now become the preacher. And then that final verse finishes out. You see it in verse 24? And they glorified God because of me. Wow. What an account. Now, there's a great deal of Paul's life and timeline that's skimmed over here. I wish, I wish, because I looked, <laughs> I really looked as I was getting into Galatians, that there was like a chapter in, in Corinthians somewhere that said, by the way, here's all of Paul's timeline. Here's the way it all worked out. It's just not there. I see uh, Brother Flip Benham in here. I know that uh, Norm is close by, students of the Word and studied it every way to Sunday, literally, right? And you have to piece together the timeline based on bits. Why? Because when Paul is telling his story, he's not talking about himself. He's always pointing people to Jesus. He makes it hard to find out great big details about his life in one sitting. You've got to go hunt and peck for that. God, help us to live that way. That we're not self-publishing every crazy thought that comes in our mind and navel-gazing all the time. But our lives, the story that we're telling everybody else points to the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is telling his story and you have to go hunt and peck around and I don't think that's the best use of our time this morning to fill in the gaps of all of Paul's timeline. I can point you to some great resources if you want to nerd out for about a week because that's how long it takes. Nerd out for about a week to put it all together. I got a beautiful book by Lexham Press that did this recently that I'm very uh, pleased to have that actually makes it, pulls it together and it's a pretty coffee table book too. But that's not our goal this morning. I think our goal this morning is to see Paul's life as he tells about the transforming power of what God has done for him. Let me give you your first point here. I think there are three points. Boy, this is tidy for Palm Sunday. Three points, there's no point. But uh, here's your three. first point this morning. You ready? Here it is. Paul, when he's sharing his story, talks about his life before Christ. 
So if you're taking notes somewhere, I would just kind of write that down and leave some space to jot a few things down. Paul talks about his life before Christ. Before Christ. He talks about his life and he underlines the shame of his former life by noting the fact that he persecuted the church. Now, he had some distinction in his old life. He was a Jew among Jews, a, a Pharisee among Pharisees, he would later say of himself. But, but recognize that the writer of Hebrews says that the Pharisee among Pharisees, the Jews among Jews, are basically pushing people toward blasphemy in denying God's Son as Messiah. So Paul is actually carefully bragging on the high point of his life. It looks like he's bragging at first, but he's highlighting the depths of his depravity. So when he talks about his life before Christ, he's mentioning this. He thought he was doing good, but the, the writer of Hebrews says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete is growing old, is ready to vanish away. Paul was proclaiming and trying to advance a dying dead covenant when God was revealing the new covenant. It's a bit sensational, isn't it? He's persecuting the church. Can, can I just mention for a minute about the churches that he's persecuting? Because when I have a picture in my mind, I don't know where your mind goes, Paul persecuting a church. Do you envision something on like a modern movie where they kind of bust in the back doors or shh, shh, listen here, everybody, right? Or they, you know, they come in and they're like, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to be. They're nailing stuff on the doors, banging on the doors. Let us in of a church gathering like this. And I'm not making light of that, too light of that, because that stuff happens today. But can you think with me for just a moment about the church that Paul's engaging? They met in homes. They, they weren't in buildings like this. That the church was too early in its inception. So, so they would meet from house to house, the Bible tells us. And they would meet and they would have a meal together. And then they would, somebody would teach a lesson they had learned that week from God's Word and how the Messiah was fulfilling that. And then somebody else would pray. Long prayers, by the way. You think the elders pray a long time sometimes. Man, New Testament churches, they'd, they'd preach people out of the, uh, they'd fall out, you know, almost dead. They had fallen asleep so hard. So... Um, somebody would teach a lesson, somebody would pray, and then they would share their resources. They would be like, Brother Allen, do you, do you have any needs this week? We know that you, uh, your, your garden hadn't produced well this year. Do you need some food? We've got food we can share with you. That was the early church. Some of you are like, yeah, sign up for that. Well, th that's what they do. That's what we do in a different context today. And then as house churches grew, they would partner together and they would become the church at Colossae or the church at Galatia. They would form these gatherings and elders would be appointed within them and deacons would be appointed to serve. And, and, and that's how we had these churches assembled together. So it wasn't that Paul was going to an institution knocking on a door telling them to stop or issuing an order. Paul was breaking into people's homes and trying to destroy, watch this, men, women, and children. That's the church that Paul's chasing down. That's the kind of persecution. That's his life before Christ. Now, while we might visit one of those churches and go, wow, this is strange, they would certainly walk into here and say, wow, this is strange. They're the same church, bodies of believers, just in different spectrums of existence. 
It wasn't that Paul didn't know about Christ's teaching. He knew all about Christ's teaching. He was trying to put an end to Christ's teaching. Remember the idea of a crucified Messiah, a suffering Savior, was so offensive to the Pharisees and to the Jewish elite and to those who were not open to the new covenant, but especially to the Apostle Paul. Can I just make a side statement here? Knowing about Christian teaching isn't enough. Some of us feel like, man, if our friends could just hear some good teaching. You hear a great sermon from somebody. <clears throat> I don't know who that is, but you hear a great sermon from somebody. And you're like, man, if, if so-and-so could just hear this, they would come. Oh, they would. man, if they could just hear this, if they could just hear that. Paul knew all about Christ's teaching and was still on the way to destroy the church. Sometimes we think that, but the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. You see, Paul knew about it but didn't understand it. He couldn't understand it until God called him by his grace. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But none of us were born into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't care what your grandma told you, what your daddy told you. If you open this Bible, none of us were born into a living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We're all on the broad road to destruction. And God, by his grace, calls us to himself. And we turn, that's repentance, that metanoia. We turn from that way toward Jesus. That's God working in us. That's what, that's what grace looks like. God works in us and calls us to a living relationship with the God that created the universe. We were born on the wrong side and God calls us to his side. Before meeting the Lord Jesus Christ, we may not have been actively persecuting the church. I doubt very seriously in the room this morning because y'all look nice. Y'all look, yeah, I mean, you, some of you even dressing comfortably. I sent the text out, says dress comfortably. Your comfortable dressing outdoes me. It's glorious, right? You look great. You're comfortable clothes. You look nice. You look sharp. It's hard for me to believe that some of you made a living before Jesus of busting up house churches, right? Or, or trying to shut down or burn down. I just don't think that's the case. And you think, well, I'm not as bad as the Apostle Paul was. Well, that's true. You may not have done the same act. They might not have been as sensational. But the Bible says that friendship with the world puts us at odds with God. We are enemies of God when we are outside the covenant of grace. Luke 11, Jesus says, whoever's not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Wait a minute. You and I may not have had the title or the job from the Pharisees, but when we weren't running with Jesus, it's not just that we were running from him. We were actually doing destruction according to the word of God. The Holy Spirit of God makes the reality of Christ known to us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, I want to say this to you. You may not have had a Damascus Road experience like Paul, but you have had this kind of experience. The Bible says that the light shines out of darkness. God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Regardless of your before Christ story, can I tell you something? You were in darkness. And when God did a work in your heart, he turned the light on. 
Now we've got a lot of natural light coming into this building through these fantastic green stained windows. And, uh, and for those of you watching on the live stream, we're not using old television tape for our recording. It's just the way the light comes in through the windows. It is naturally green in here. If we turn the lights off in here, we could still see. In fact, at nighttime, with all the street lights around here, if we turn the lights off in here, we could still see pretty well. But there's probably a room in your home, a closet in your home, something in your home where there's no light that really gets in. Imagine going in there, closing the door, turning off the light, and living your life that way. Can I step on the other side of that? Then imagine friends that have flashlights and candles and power and electricity all meeting together to enjoy their flashlights, their powers, their candles and all their electricity and talking about how pretty, oh, look at this light. Oh, I like your light fixture. Where'd you get your light? I got my light here. And they're having light fixture conventions while you're still in the dark. And they never come and knock on you and said, hey, would you like to see the light? See what light can do? That's our job. That's what God called us to do, to help shine the light and point people to Jesus. Paul was headed for destruction he had a before Christ, second point this morning, but he was called by grace. He was called by grace. Let me highlight a few verses, or a few words rather, in those verses in verse 15 and 16. I'll put them on the screen for you. Look at some of these words. Paul says, God set me apart. He called me by his grace. God had pleasure in revealing his son to me that I might preach him. Listen, you don't have to when you share the gospel with somebody or when you're telling your story about how you came to Jesus, one of the things we do with our new members as the final interview process of that membership process, I sit down with them in my office or somewhere else and we talk about the gospel and I ask them to lead me to Jesus. I say, okay, I'm ready. I've seen you live your life and I'm ready. I know I'm a sinner. I'm ready to be saved. What must I do to be saved? And then they share and articulate the gospel. And if it's a husband-wife team, we usually do tag team. I'll stop one and, you know, start the other. And they, they share the gospel with me. They, they share the fact that we are called there. And I'm not looking for them to have something that would pass the muster for a DTS exam uh, or, or to sit before an ordination council. But I am listening to make sure it's not works-based religion and make sure it's not something way off the mark, right? I, I can tell you it doesn't betray a confidence and it wasn't at Grace Covenant Church, but one time uh, this dear, precious woman said, you know, it, you just kinda, I don't know, it just, you just kinda do it, you know? And I said, yeah, do what? And she said, you know, you just, you just kinda do it. And God's good. And I went up pastoral, right? What do you do in that moment, Flip? You flip the switch and go like, God is good, isn't he? And I'm so grateful he did it. You take their words and then you gently take them back to the gospel and through it. And, and that's why we do that. Paul here is articulating kind of the high points of what's happening in his life. And I don't know that he probably said it that way the first time, but he knows who he's talking to. He's talking to the church at Galatia. He knows what he's got to present to them and what attention he's got to bring to them. But look at what he's saying. The longer you're saved, I think the better you should be able to tell your story. Paul knows his audience well, but even as he's telling his story about his conversion, Jesus is still the main attraction. It's God initiating the work. It's God executing the work. It's God finishing the work. Wow, what a Savior. What a Savior. 
that we celebrate on this Palm Sunday. Paul wasn't earning God's favor here. He didn't have an epiphany here. John Stott writes of Paul, he he wasn't in a mental or emotional state that he was looking to change his mind. He, He wasn't even wanting his mind changed by men. Think about it. He was empowered by the Pharisees to go root out those who were following the way. That's what they called those following the Lord Jesus Christ and destroy them by any means necessary. He was being well paid. He enjoyed his job and he was really good at it. He wasn't thinking, you know, it's time for a career change. No, God radically grabbed a hold of his life. My friend, that's what grace does. That's what God does. God sees fit to intrude our lives at the precise moment that brings him the most pleasure. That's grace. God, by his Holy Spirit, woos us and calls us and invites us to surrender control to the God of all creation. That's grace. God radically makes us new in that moment. God radically begins transforming us, sanctifying us, setting us apart for His glory, working in us and on us, changing our want-tos by His Word and His Spirit. That's grace. Grace. God's grace. Grace that is greater than all of our sin. That's a distinction between us and the cults. All of the cults, even the ones that use Jesus as a part of their teaching, it's you need Jesus and, and the list is pretty long of stuff you've got to add to Jesus to satisfy membership in the cults. It's counterintuitive. We want to do something and God says, no, it's done. It's done. Trust me. Paul didn't have a story to tell to the nations because he saw an opportunity to advance a brand or make himself known or famous. No, he had personally encountered the living God. Have you? Have you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Is he making you new? If not, let me encourage you this morning. Like Paul, God knew you before you were born. In fact, God knows everything about you. All the thoughts you've ever had, all the words you've ever spoken, all the deeds you've ever done. And he still loves you. And he still has a plan to make something beautiful out of your life. Like Paul, when God calls you, it will be by his grace. Not because of your potential or your popularity or what other people have said about the design of your life. God made you for his pleasure. And he knows how to use you for his glory. And if you want joy unspeakable and full of glory, it's found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Paul, God wants to point you away from yourself and toward his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Only as we look to Jesus and see the cost of our sin, payment in full for our sin, and a God that extends outstretched, nail-pierced, resurrected arms of love, inviting us into his family. Can we walk in grace? Paul was not saved to sit. Paul was not saved to just send letters to churches. Paul was saved to proclaim the good news of this gracious God that loves sinners. So was I. Spoiler alert, so were you. Last point this morning. There's a before Christ There's being called by grace. And then there's this new story 
that Paul has to tell. New story to tell. I think it's one of the greatest examples of how to share your testimonies right here. You're seeing it in Galatians 1, right in front of our eyes. Paul spent some time alone. Let me just go through that text one more time, give you some of the high points of the text. It's recorded there about those three years, and he didn't seek any counsel and all the things. He spent some time alone, but he didn't stay alone. He knew he needed the fellowship of the saints, the accountability of the brothers and sisters who would see him as he lived this thing called life and quickly found himself accountable to those around him on mission. That time that he spent alone, we mark that as a time of waiting. I want to make one quick statement about waiting. These little side statements, I normally ignore them if they're not right on with the message, but these were some that I just couldn't resist for you because I know the Holy Spirit uses these to speak to you. Somebody said it this way beautifully, waiting time isn't wasted time. God wastes nothing in the lives of his servants. Look at that again. Waiting time isn't wasted time. Boy, it feels like that, doesn't it, sometimes? Can any parents relate with me there? Any single folks in the room relate with me there? Young people, you ever feel like all I do is wait? (laughs) That's not wasted time for the child of God. God is working. Paul's life, as his new story was emerging, was being marked by a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ and a faithfulness to the God who called him by grace. As Paul tells his story, as we've seen it this morning, I want to bring out just a few things about his story and then quick application. You're already there, right? I I can see it in your eyes. You're already there with the application. But this last point, Paul's new story, is really all that he's telling. It's this whole story of his life, but he says, now I'm doing a work and God is being glorified in the work. As Paul tells his story, I want you to know something. It's all about Jesus. Here are a few things that I found interesting about Paul's story in Galatians 1. Number one, Paul wasn't preachy. Do you know folks that get preachy? Do y'all, I don't know what your heritage is, but, but some of us have a heritage of folks that have preachers that had preacher voices. No? Did any of y'all know that? So they would talk to you down front. They'd be like this. And yes, it's so good to see you this morning. And oh, wonderful to see you. They'd get in the pulpit. And they're like, I want to talk to you today. And you're going, what, just, what happened from there to there? That's amazing, right? And they're not all Southern. I know that. But that's typically where my mind goes. But um, the preaching voices. And, and, and Paul didn't flip a switch on. To, to go into some kind of voice, right? He didn't pull his glasses off, as I often do here, and go, now, let me tell you my story. <laughs> it's really good. You're going to love me after this. No, he wasn't preachy at all. He knew who he was talking to, and he spoke to them, to the folks he was addressing. Paul wasn't general. He was specific. He didn't just say something happened, right? I'm so glad something happened in my life, and now things are going the right direction. Yeah, people on Weight Watchers say that. Like, People that do something, go do Habitat for Humanity, say that. We've got more specific things to share than generalities. Paul wasn't vague, right? He didn't just say, ah, you know, and God and, you know, or or whatever you choose to call God. No, 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 friend. Remember how he started? I I want you to know. I want you to know these things. These are facts. He wasn't vague. He wasn't general. He wasn't preachy. And then as Paul is actually, when you look at what's happening here, Paul's making a case for his credibility as an evangelist, as an apostle, but while he's doing it, he's actually not defending himself. 
He's declaring the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder if when I'm backed into a corner and my back's against the wall and the pressures of life are squeezing me, I wonder if I'll go into a defensive mode to defend myself or if in that moment I'll just surrender and just proclaim Jesus. That's what Paul does here. I've been privileged for years. I've lost count of the years now to travel around the country in different places to equip the church to be on mission in sharing the gospel. We like to say sharing Jesus naturally. It's a supernatural work, of course, but just so it becomes conversational. You don't have to go preachy on people to actually preach and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ right from his word. And one of the things I like equipping people to do is to use their story to share the gospel. It's possible that sharing your story could be shared in a way that points more to Jesus than you. Are you, you know that? Now let me talk to some, again, I'm not excluding my friends that are not in the South, but in the South, uh, a lot of the camp meeting style churches, we would have testimony time or, or, or you, you would have that up North, yes? Testimony services where you'd share, people would share their, service, share their stories. You ever heard something that made you cringe, right? You just kind of like the guy walks up, grabs the microphone, and you're thinking, oh, no, 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 no. Where's the symphony that'll play the music and get him off the stage? Ashley and I attended a church, uh, not as members, but we have a relationship with a pastor. If somebody got sideways during testimony time, do you know what I mean by that? Got sideways, like turned that way and just kind of kept going. The pastor would stand over the side, he would go like this, he'd go... That's what he did, and the whole congregation would go like, oh, praise the Lord, amen. The pastor would walk him off stage, take his, all right, brother, praise the Lord. Wasn't that something? And then come back. If we tell our testimonies wrong, we can brag about sin too much, and we can be the main attraction. I'm going to give you a few pointers this morning that I think will help you tell your testimony in a way. Now, you hear testimony, you're either thinking, standing before court, please relax, or you're freaking out thinking, I'm going to hand you a mic and call you up on stage and do that when you get started. Don't do that. I'm just trying to help you share it naturally when you're out and about. The first thing, guess what? Kind of like our message this morning, you have a before. So when you're sharing your story, you have a, a before. Here's the challenge. Ashley and I did this years ago with some young people. I've used this technique um, a lot of places, and it works well. I don't want you to write an essay. I don't want you to write a three-page document. It's not a 200-word um, exam or anything like that. I don't need two paragraphs. I actually don't need, watch this, a sentence this morning. Some of you are wishing I would have followed that rule for the sermon. Here we go. I want you to think about your life before Christ, Christian brothers and sisters. Now, this is not going to just be rhetorical. I'm actually going to want some response. I'm prepping you for that now, okay? Take a deep breath because you're going to say something to me in a minute. I want you to think about one word. One word, it's not the only word, but one word that describes your life before Christ. And I know somebody spiritual in here is gonna say lost. So let me get that one off the table and say if there's a word besides lost that describes your life before Christ. Some of you are mean, right? Or unkind or low, whatever it is, addicted. I, I don't know what your word is. But let's just, for the sake of, of time and enjoying this together, just one word, your life before Christ. Can, can some folks over here just share me one word? Disobedient. Disobedient. Anybody else? Bitter. Sinner. Bitter. Bitter. Confused. Confused. How about in this section, before Christ? One word. Dead. Okay. Sinner. Dead. Dead. Yeah. Lonely. Dead. Lonely. Anxiety. Anxiety. This section over here, 
One word before Christ. Dull. Dull. Selfish. Selfish. Wow, you people are rotten. Y'all make, make me uncomfortable. Mercy used to be. I like that. Your story. Look, that's our before. Here's my challenge to you. Pick that one word. Write that one word down. Why? Because if you, have you ever seen somebody memorize their testimony? It's awesome. I think you should. But sometimes we can go into this mode. Tell me about your life before Christ. Okay. When I was 13 years old, I was in, and you're like, whoa, 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 right? I don't need a spiel. Just talk to me. Think about your word. Start there. The next thing is how. Now I say how. What do I mean by how? Here's three little things I want you to write down. Uh, the next thing, I want you to think about where you were when you heard the gospel. Next slide. What did you hear and what did you do? Does that make sense? So where were you? Some of you were at church. I was at church. I was at Awana. I'm really dating myself now. I was at Awana on a Friday night at a little tiny church in Rockwell, North Carolina. My grandmother took me to church. That's where I heard the gospel. But it would be later. I would be 16 years old and my life crumbling around me, finding myself in a non-denominational, independent church, not dislike Grace Covenant in its beliefs and preaching of the gospel. And I heard the gospel preached faithfully. And that Sunday morning, third Sunday morning in February of 1993, I responded to the gospel. I heard that God loved me in spite of myself and was calling me into his family. That was a big word for me because my family was broken. My family was broken. I'd come from a divorced home. And I thought, there's no way. There's no way. And then in that moment, the gospel that was sown into my life when I was in Awana, it all came rushing back. And I said, this is conviction. That's a big word for a 16-year-old God-hater to know, right? This is conviction. And I fell on my face. And that altar, it was a stage, not just like this, came forward because that's how they did it. It came forward. I cried. The pastor came and cried all over me too. I'd love to tell you he articulated and prayed me to Jesus. He didn't. He just put his hot hand on my back. High blood pressure, I don't know. May have been all the mayonnaise. But he put his hot hand on my back and cried with me. And then we cried afterwards. I know I've got issues. Okay, so there's a little bit of, of what I did. Did you see what I did? I told you where I was. I told you what I heard. A God that loved me called me into the family. Even in spite of my sin and what I did, I responded. I went forward. I put my faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when you're talking about what you heard, this is the most important part of your story. Not your before, listen to me, and not your after. Because I, don't, I, I, I think your before is interesting, but that's not my before. I'm not a drug addict. So that's sensational, but that's not what I dealt with. What I need from your story is this. I need you to articulate elements of the gospel when you tell the how. All right? Let me just ask a quick question, and then we'll do one more response, and we're done. Where were you when you came to accept the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Where were you? Some of you were at home, in the car. Some of you were at a, in the mountains. Where were you? Not at church. Where were you? Backseat of the car? Oh, on this side. Where were you? Miss Christie's house? Miss Christie, you're going to explode because they're either going to say Miss Christie's house or Faith, Hope, and Love or because of Faith, Hope, and Love. We got a lot of great stories. Bless you, Miss Christie, for all that you do. What's that? At a, at a student camp last year. Yeah, Wes. In my bed. In his bed. So you can be all different places. God doesn't just meet people here. 
He'll meet you wherever you are. Here's the last point this morning. You ready? And I'm closing with this. Now give me the one word that describes your life now. Now here's the challenge. Do your best to try to connect it back to that first word. So if you said I was lonely, now I'm part of the family. Or I was bitter, now I have peace or forgiveness. Does that make sense? Can I have a few words that describe your life now in Christ? This side. Free. Free. Oh. In here. Comforted. Comforted. Complete. Bothered by sin. Oh, yeah. Boy, that's freedom, really. That's great. Somebody else. Your life now in Christ. Content. Brian said hopeful. I hear content in the back. Wow, that's worship, isn't it? That's worship. I'm going to ask Julia to come forward, the musicians to come back. You have a story to tell. It sounds like a lot of you have been transformed by the grace of God as well. Let me just encourage you when you're thinking about your story, you don't have to compete with anybody else. You're not competing with the Apostle Paul or anybody. You're already on the winning side. Transformed by the grace of God, Paul had a story to tell. When grace transforms a life, there's always a testimony. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your loving kindness and for your faithfulness, God. We ask that in this day that you would continue your transforming work of the gospel in our lives, that you would continue to manifest your grace in us, on us, around us, through us, God, in such a way that you get all the glory and help us to be ready to share our story because any life that's been transformed by the grace of God has a story to tell. Thank you for this account this morning from the Apostle Paul. May it ring true for us all this week. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. Amen. Let's